Hello and welcome to the special edition of The Stack, with some of the best interviews from the show this year. 2022 was the year I spoke with Brian Adams, the photographer, but also with a penchant for best-selling ballads. Plus, we celebrate 15 years of Monaco, Le Monde goes English, and ID Magazine is 40 years old. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We start the show with a very special guest. He basically photographed the Pirelli calendar for 2022. It is Canadian musician Brian Adams. Yes, that's the one you're thinking. He's a talented guy. The shoot features musicians ranging from Cher to Iggy Pop, and the inspiration for the shoot was touring, being on the road. I had a pleasure to speak with Brian. Brian Adams, what a pleasure talking to you. The legendary musician and now photographer as well, of course. But Brian, what an amazing uh, gig, you know, to do the Pirelli calendar. I mean, this is such an iconic calendar. It must be a privilege. How was the involvement? Did they approach you? Did you approach them? How, how did that work? I had a friend who had been working with them over the years and... One day I just sort of said, do you think I could send them an idea for a calendar? And he said, yeah, of course you could. So I presented an idea and then didn't hear much about it, but I, I managed to get some contacts with people there. And a few years ago when the new calendar came out, I just thought I was going to call. And I called and he says, oh, well, you know what? It's very good you're calling. Can you come to Milan? We'd like to talk to you. <laughs> and that's how it happened. That's amazing. And, and, and I mean, and I've seen, you know, the, the pictures. I think they're very close to your heart in a way. Was the inspiration? Was the inspiration kind of this life of a rock star and even touring a little bit as well, right? Well, it's the one thing that nobody could do during the whole pandemic when, you know, all, all the musicians were grounded and couldn't, you know, in some cases couldn't even leave our houses. But I mean, I thought what would be really good and quite optimistic would be to talk about, you know, being on the road. And with the concept of on the road, I presented it to Pirelli and they they loved it because of course it's their business being on the road. So that tied into to musicians, of course, made perfect sense and to the point where they asked me to write a song to <laughs> to help launch the calendar, which I did also, which is called On the Road. And I just wanted to, to try to, to create a snapshot of perhaps what it might be like behind the stage, on the stage, traveling, in a hotel, all these sort of scenarios backstage in the dressing rooms, and present that as the on-the-road concept for Pirelli. And um, that's what we did. And let's look at, uh, you know, the people you photographed. I mean, what a selection. I mean, from Cher to Iggy Pop, you have new names like Kalyu Shiz as well, which is, you know, she's amazing. Did you knew many of them before, by the way, Brian? Because you were in the same industry. Well, I, I, let's see, who did I know? I mean, I'd met Jennifer Hudson before, and the rest I didn't know. And, of course, I knew of them, but I didn't know them. So that was that was cool. I Actually, I'd, I'd, I'd met Rita way, way back 
uh, when she started her career in an airport, and she came and said hello to me. So we sort of chuckled about that at the time. And that's it, really. So it was, it was all new acquaintances. And it's interesting, of course, the Pirelli calendar has, you know, they're changing throughout the years as well. Because, for so example... Of course, it's a big change now. I mean, you big can't... Big change. There's no more super naked supermodels. That's gone. For example, you have Iggy Pop as well. So there's Man as well. So well, I you got know, Iggy naked instead. Exactly. I mean, which is not a bad thing, right? <laughs> no. He looks great naked and he looked particularly great when he, we painted him silver. And my, one of my favorites, I have to say, Brian, because I'm, I'm a big fan of Cher. I saw actually her live in London two years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, she's such an icon. I mean, and, and she's still, I can see that she loves to be photographed in a way, right? She's great. And she was so easy to work with and nice. And her team were great. Everybody, it was just really easy. Could have spent way more time with her. Where was the shot, the shoot, sorry? Well, it was shot in three places. The majority of it was shot in Los Angeles because that's where most people are. And because of COVID, we couldn't really get people to fly in. And so we shot we shot most of it in two places in L.A. One was the Palace Theater in Los Angeles, and the other was at the Chateau Marmont, which is a hotel. And I shot Sweetie in Capri uh, shortly afterwards. And we were stuck for one more person because of time. And so I did some self-portraits. That's amazing. And Brian, one question. Of course, you're already a very respected photographer as well. How do you kind of mix your career as a photographer and also as a musician? Because you are actually at the moment literally on the road. You're preparing for your European tour at the moment, right? Do you yes. think, do, do you reserve, okay, this is my time to do music and this is my time of photography? Or do you actually combine both i don't know in your spare time during touring which i don't believe it's it's a lot of spare time uh, but how do you combine both of those careers well i i tour differently to a lot of other people i go out for two weeks a month or i used to before the pandemic and i've been doing that for 20 years so i would go for two weeks then i'd go home for two weeks two weeks go home for two weeks two weeks on the tour come home for two weeks and that worked perfectly for me because i didn't I think there's something about being out all the time that becomes quite stressful. So by breaking it up, I have time for other things. So photography, family, chilling out, all those kind of things are happening when I'm not touring. I mean, and those things are very important as well. And you have could be the most important. Absolutely. And you have a new album coming out in March as well, which is super exciting. Yes, 11th of March, right? Yes, it's called So Happy It Hurts. I like the title already. Yeah, it's a very up record, and um, it was recorded sort of in between the gigs. You know what? I was going to tell you something, that during the whole pandemic, photography was the one thing that I, I could do all the time. It was, uh, it, it, I was getting more calls to do pictures than I was to, to go on tour. <laughs> so it, isn't it interesting that it sort of came around that way? But also when I had when I had my downtime I was I was making music and that's why I have this album coming out. And where are you based these days, Brian? Is it is not still in Canada? Well, it? no. I mean, I I've, I've been in Canada a lot lately because I've been uh, looking after my mother. Um she's 93 now. So it's it's uh, it's what you got to do as a as a son. And we were talking before how much I mean, you have a lot of international fans as well. You know, I'm from Brazil and you said you have a lot of fans over there. But what about here in Europe? I mean, you're, you're starting in Portugal as well. I have a feeling you have, there will be a lot of Brazilians in the audience in Portugal. I hope so. And, you know, Portugal has always been an incredible place for me because I used to live there. 
Oh, really? Yeah, I lived there for four years. And so I think the Portuguese think of me as sort of the forgotten son. And if I'm there, people come up to me and they start talking Portuguese to me, you know, thinking that I'm I'm a local. I mean, you're almost there. You mean, you spoke a little bit of Portuguese with me, you know, I might believe you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. And Brad, one, one thing about the Pirelli, just coming back very quickly to the Pirelli calendar. I mean, it's such an iconic, but how do people get hold of a copy as well? Because ah. it's, 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 an, you know, it, it's kind of mysterious, right? I mean, it's not really such an easy thing. You just well, go and buy it in, the, in no, your local. No, you can't. You can't. You have to hope that somebody's going to sell it on eBay. I, no, I noticed the other day, because a friend of mine was asking, he's like, I went on eBay and I, you know, it was a, a $1,000 to buy the calendar. I said, well, that's it. You know, it's, a, it's an exclusively intercompany thing that they do. And because it's so exclusive and it's because it's so rare, I think it's become iconic because of that. Thank you very much, Brian. And of course, it's a celebratory show. And it's been a very celebratory year for Monaco. We celebrated 15 years old. I had a chat with our editorial director, Tyler Brule, our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck, and our creative director, Richard Spencer Powell. We spoke about Monaco and its 15 years. Tyler, Andrew, Rich, what a pleasure and what a special edition of the stack as well. 15 years of Monaco. Tyler, my first impression is I was looking at issue one like a few days ago, the consistency. I mean, when you look at uh, number 151, of course, there's a few changes here and there, but the consistency is amazing. Yeah, well, and just before we went on air, you were even being more flattering than, than you are now. And it's, um, I think that's always, you know, I guess it's a bit of a, a testament to, to a strong brand. And I think, you know, Rich and Andrew can jump in here, but I think I've always believed that good brands, doesn't matter whether it's an automotive company, whether it's a hotel, a lot of it is about repetition. And I think that there are, are many magazines, uh, many media brands that we see that, that they do go through enormous transformation and sometimes you don't really you know recognize them from you know not one issue to the next or one decade to the next and i think here you know we we set out i think with i would say a pretty strict architecture in terms of the sections that we want to look at i think the approach to photography uh, the grid uh, that rich built up and everything that went with it and and i guess you know when i say everything that went with it a, a big core part of that when you think about consistency is also the people and this is kind of remarkable that I'm sitting with uh, someone uh, across me, Richard Spencer Powell, who I've uh, been working with since 1997. Andrew Tuck, uh, well, Andrew's been on the journey for 15 years, but we've known each other for over 30. So that's also part of this as well. And Andrew, I, w- I want to put you here in this uh, conversation. I mean, it's about the belief in print as well, because when Monaco was launched in 2007, now I'm realizing it was the credit crunch years. I mean, nobody was kind of advising people to launch a new title, right? I mean, but I think that that belief is what makes Monaco in a way, right? Well, we started and then that credit crunch came around the corner a little bit afterwards, but very swiftly. But it made us kind of think about what we stood for and and how we would connect with audiences. And I think it baked into the brand of Monocle some really important things very early on, one of of which was you need to be nimble, another which was you need to be focused on opportunity, and another one maybe that you need to be positive because if we had kind of got all caught up in the woes of that time, we'd have soon vanished as a brand. So oddly, those those have become tenets of the things that we stand for and how we report stories and, and how we deliver things to our readers. And so I think it was a good test, in a way, of, of Monocle. It, it, it made us feel primed for what was ahead. 
and 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 rich again the design of Monaco that's uh, incredibly remarkable the kind of slightly bookish kind of characteristics of it as well. And again, tell us about some of the changes you do, because again, Monaco is not a magazine, as I said to Tyler, number one and number 151, they look incredibly consistent. But tell us about your inspiration, actually, for the now iconic design of Monaco. Well, I think the design of Monaco or any magazine of Monaco's type, which, of course, there aren't many, I think it's just about presenting the journalism well. Not being capricious and changing your mind, being confident, being consistent and doing lots and lots of small things well or as well as you can and to do that for as long as you can. And I think we have to be, you have to be confident. You know, the newsstand, you make a magazine with a, with a nice front cover and you put it out there to the world and say, please come and buy me. And you have to be confident with that. And I think you have to trust your instincts. And of course, you can develop a bit and react to things. But I think we've just been very good at staying the course and sticking to our sticking to our beliefs and we've managed to do that for 15 15 years consistently of course there are challenges and of course each issue is different but i think yeah as long as you stick to the core values i think the product uh, is long lasting and that was always the intention to to design something that wasn't faddish and um capricious or schizophrenic that it was confident and and it knew what it wanted to be and tell us, I mean, we're being all nostalgic here as well, but I think Monaco, I don't know, it feels to me, even working here, they would always like to look ahead. I mean, of course, we're, we're looking at the best times of those 15 years, but I think it, we, we like to look ahead, right? And we, we are not stopping. There's so many new projects for 2022. So, I mean, if you give to a, a little overview for our listeners, uh, what can we expect from Monaco this year? Well, I, I think one interesting thing is, when you look back, and of course, we're, we're doing interviews, we're talking about this this brand, and people said, well, at what point did you decide that you wanted to do e-commerce? And, and people think that we just jumped on that bus, uh, you know, maybe in the last seven or eight years. But you go back to issue one, and there were a series of porter bags for sale. Now, it wasn't the most advanced logistics operation mm-hmm. behind uh, what we were offering. I think maybe those bags, Andrew, they could have been just behind your desk uh, on a shelf. But anyway, there were so many fundamentals that we had. You know, very, very early on, there was there was a podcast. There wasn't a, a rolling uh, radio service like there is now. So I think there's there are a lot of fundamentals that we've been doing for a very long time. If if we look ahead, you know, right now, we, of course, you know, 10 core issues a year, plus the specials that we do. Uh, our new sister magazine, Confect, uh, we're doing newspapers uh, when they present themselves, when there is a great event around them. Andrew, I mean, four books uh, as an average right now. Um, but of course, we're, you know, we're, we're in a period, we're not doing our travel guides at the moment. Uh, we might be going back to world of travel guides at some point in the not too distant future. So there's also, I would say, an uptick that we want to do there. And then just going back to the fundamentals of the people, the journalism. So a new, a new bureau on the horizon in Bangkok. We have to wait a little bit for Lisbon, uh, Faye, but you know we'll, we'll we'll come back to that. Chris Lord being out in Los Angeles, I think, really reestablishing that. Andrew, what else am I am I missing uh, editorially that we're doing as well? I mean, and also just you know the other day, probably the biggest intake of of new staff that we've had in a while as well. I think you've covered most most of the the products, but I think what, what's important, Faye, is to underline here is you know that the way we tell stories, you know, it has has evolved and will continue to evolve. We're going through a really nice period at the moment where we have these great long investigative reads in the magazine, which has been not a dramatic change, but just a good push in the right direction has really connected with our audiences. Tyler was talking there about going to the story, you know, putting our Asia editor on manoeuvres, taking him to Bangkok. But just in the past few weeks, as you know, we've had two people from M24 out in Ukraine. We've been there at the protests in Ottawa. 
So I think for us, for all media brands, is is going to the story. And I think also this interesting thing, you know, we, we have offices here in London, we have offices obviously in Zurich, but we do have outposts throughout Asia. And, we, and we're not just a British brand, and we're not just a, an English language brand. In the words we are, but in outlook, we're trying to be global, we're trying to be international and make sure that some of the narratives that end up on page aren't the same ones that you'd see in the US press or other other UK titles as well. And you mentioned long form as well. And I have to say, let's talk a little bit about the new issue. I mean, there was a moving story about the Paris trials as well. I mean, that's it felt quite unique, actually, that story as well. But give us a little preview of the new issue, because there's also an interesting segment where we're looking back at some of the stories from the first issue and, and kind of gave them a little update as well, right? Well, yeah, as uh, as you've highlighted, and it was even a surprise when, when the issue landed uh, <laughs> as well, because it was just great to... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, Rich, you sort of kept it a secret. I didn't know that we were going to have a paper change. I mean, of course, and we've, we've always had that, that's always no, but in, in a super positive way, it's always something that we've we've done. And uh, and Jackie, who's our head of production, you know, has always you know got a couple of tons of paper hiding uh, somewhere. Uh, and it was great that we were able to deploy this this glossy section, which is where we go back, you know, we rewind 15 years ago, and we visit uh, people who were in issue one. Where are they now? And then also looking at stories. What became of certain brands? Are are they still thriving, or are they by the wayside uh, potentially? But it's just a, it's a it's a really I think just it's a it's a really clever device I think to be able to do that, and it's amazing. You know, fifteen years is of course uh, at one turn it's very long. I mean, it you know it gets you up to your formative years from birth, but also it's it's whizzed past. But one great thing is there's a timeline. Just looking at the world of media and what what's happened around us and it's it's funny that we have this conversation today having launched as andrew was saying out of a crisis and now having our 15th anniversary also off off the back of what has been a global crisis as as well but rich i think when you look back what stands out for you i just think it's um that just the consistency in terms of just interesting, amazing stories. I think we've really shown the world in a way that no one else has shown it. The amount of discovery that you get in the pages. We're recently, we're currently finalising the final stages of our, our new book, which celebrates photography. And it's just been an absolute pleasure to go back through all these kind of expo stories and just see all the incredible places, all the access, and just all the investment we've put into film photographies, sending photographers to the most incredible places around the world, getting into sumo training camps and reporting on, you know, the blast in Beirut, getting onto naval vessels, into embassies. It's just been an incredible pleasure to just work with all of that material. And then still every day, I love sitting in a flat plan meeting with the editors and hearing what their ideas are. It's been an education and it's just been it's been fun. It's been, you know, good fun. And I think every good workplace should have that element. One thing that I'm curious, I would like to ask all of you, what is your favorite Monaco cover? Because, I mean, we all love to see kind of when we go to the first floor, there's all the 150, 51 uh, covers. I, I love looking at it every day. Perhaps I start with you, Rich. I mean, you're you're designing that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have been, yeah. Um, difficult to choose one. Um, I did uh, wander past the cover wall on my way down. I think one I really like is the Kumamon Japan special cover. 
designing the cover, it's the closest thing I have to sort of writer's block where sometimes it's really difficult to get it out. Yeah, can I just say as well, also the closest that we ever came to a really serious lawsuit uh, <laughs> as well with, with that cover. But we'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> but it was just, it was a kind of quick eureka moment. I think me and Andrew stood in the corridor and it was like, okay, how about we put it on, you know, one of the mascots, Kumon the bear, I love him. And then we did the negotiation. I couldn't attend the shoot. It happened in Tokyo. We had literally a 30-minute window, Shin and I, on a call with them at four o'clock in the morning and then they were sending screen grabs through and we were like yeah yeah that's it got it and it just came together really quick i love the cover i love the simplicity i love the play i love that it's japanese it's it's just very us i love the fact it's sold very well and i love the fact i went to tokyo to go to the launch of that magazine which was just pre-pandemic and it was a great trip and yeah I, th- there's lots of nice memories for me on that cover and long live Monaco. Uh, another highlight from this year was the fact that Group Le Monde launched an English-language digital edition coupled with a daily newsletter. The intention is to show France's view on international news. I spoke with the CEO of Group Le Monde, Louis Dreyfus, about the new initiative and what it means to Le Monde. To expand our internationally our circulation is an old ambition at Le Monde since our coverage of international news is a priority for us. However, because of the cost of printing and distribution, it was very difficult to find a business model to get an expansion, an international expansion for Le Monde. And obviously, to produce only in French was also a constraint. Thanks to uh, the expansion of digital and thanks to the progress with artificial intelligence, we thought uh, it may be a good time for us to reconsider our strategy to expand internationally. And obviously, the um, expansion of digital subscription offer us a chance to build new line of revenues for Le Monde. And lastly, we thought that the presidential election in France could be of uh, huge interest internationally and so could give us uh, the right exposure to launch a new product, meaning a product for people who are not able to read us uh, usually. So we, we worked on it over the past six months and um, two weeks ago we launched Le Monde in English we will uh, distribute around 70% of our content translated in English through professional translators. We hired 10 journalists either in Paris or in LA to edit the content, to give a context of the content and to make sure that the translation is uh, relevant. And we launch it. And uh, so far we are quite uh, happy with, um, with the results meaning uh, we have a growth of the audience and we even add new subscription. And that's, that's great for us. For Le Monde, uh, who consider itself as a, what we call a journal de référence, the reference newspaper, I think we, we are eager to share with a larger audience the way we cover French news, European news, and international news. I think for, even for somebody in, in London or in New York, to have another view of what's going on in Middle East, on in Asia, on Africa, could be an interest. So we are not a competitor of the local media, but we could be uh, we could offer another point of view, and I think it's relevant right now. 
It's interesting to show the French view of the world as well, because sometimes, especially when it comes to the English language, you're, you know, you're dominated by either British publications and broadcasters or American ones. So that's a good kind of, even a way for France to show its soft power with, with a brand that is so respected, right? Right, and, and, and probably to share with our readers, or international readers, that the US point of view on international news or the British point of view on international news are not the only one. And we can have a singular point of view. Uh, we are publishing serious news. We have more than 500 uh, journalists on staff. So we have the resources to be on the field. But I think it, it's very interesting to be able to compare or to add to what you are reading usually on your, with your local media, another point of view. So, uh, Louis, how will it work? I mean, can you do a subscription specifically for Le Monde in English? And I believe there will be also a newsletter as part of the whole kind of uh, launch campaign, right? Yeah, you will be able to subscribe only to Le Monde in English with a launch tariff around €2.50 a month. So uh, much less than what you, uh, you would uh, find on the market for quality newspapers. And a daily newsletter will promote the best stories on Le Monde in English. I think I, I must add something. Uh, we will cover uh, serious news. We'll cover war, economic news, politics, but also the French way of life, style, food, fashion, uh, design. And I think it could be uh, also interesting for many, many readers to get this opportunity to read those contents produced by French uh, journalists about French uh, way of life. And that's another aspect of what we invest in at Le Monde with um, M Le Magazine du Monde, which is uh, one of our best products. We will translate it, its content and you will see it in Le Monde in English. And of course, for my own interest, I, I must ask as well, is there perhaps a plan to do something print in English as well? No. <laughs> uh, that's okay. No, that's okay. It's, it's, unfortunately, it's too, too costly and the market would be too difficult to find for us. So we will invest more and more in foreign languages, more and more international distribution, but I think it will be through digital. Sorry for that. No, that's, that's okay. And, and I was going to ask, Luis, I was looking at the numbers. It's impressive, the rise in kind of... Uh, you know, readers of, of Le Monde in terms of subscriptions. You know, I remember even during the lockdowns, people were kind of so depressed about media, but I think Le Monde had impressive numbers. If you could share some of them with us. Yeah, Le, Le Monde, uh, I, I took my position at the Elm of Le Monde 11 years ago. 11 years ago, our daily circulation topped at 250,000 a day, and we had around 310 journalists on staff at Le Monde. 11 years later, we have a daily circulation that is almost 500,000 daily, so double what it was 11 years ago. And we are now more than 500 journalists on staff. And we are profitable. We have been profitable for the past six years. So the good thing for the media for us, and if, if we can be an example for others, that if you invest in digital and in editorial staff, you may find a business model and it is a virtual circle. And the more you invest in the staff, the better is the content. The more you, subscribers you will have, the more 
money you can have to reinvest in the ideal stuff and um, and the best you are and so that's as an example to follow it's not uh, possible for every media but for quality newspaper i think there is a, a way to invest and to find a business model and that's that's a very very good news for us if you remember what was the views on uh, uh, quality papers or newspapers 10 years ago we were supposed to be dead now and actually not we are not so that's that's good news thank you very much Louis. and you know there are a lot of important dates in 2022 another one is the iconic magazine id celebrated 40 years id is the original fashion and style bible uh, the iconic title was an important celebration of what's cool and was the first one to celebrate young talent I remember the first one I spotted as a kid in Brazil. It's a special magazine indeed. I had a pleasure to speak with Alastair McKing, the current editor of ID. The day after I graduated, I moved to London, and the day after that, I went and knocked on the door at ID magazine on Tabernacle Street in East London, which is very old school. It was kind of like we just... I, I remember at that time, I only had an email for like a year or something, so that's how we used to do things, right? We'd go and like knock on the door and introduce ourselves with my portfolio, and I ended up meeting Edward Enenfull, who um, we all know is the, the um, editor-in-chief of British Vogue now. He... Uh, he hired me as his his assistant when I was 20. So, um, yeah, I guess he liked my design or my work or my photography or whatever it was in my portfolio and ended up giving me an opportunity. And I worked with him for a couple of years. And, you know, my, my story with ID is very kind of old school, sort of work your way up the ladder like apprenticeship, you know. It's like I started, as, as I said, as an assistant to Edward, who's very much a mentor and... And I assisted him on everything that we were working on at that time, like ID, working on fashion shows, consulting. We were working on Italian Vogue, Japanese Vogue, you know, very much that kind of like working freelance career. So I got to really see everything at that time in, you know, my early 20s and the early 2000s. And then when I stopped assisting, I started doing like some pages and like really kind of getting out on my own and just building my portfolio. And I've always just been kind of associated with the magazine even when I was working for different publications I've all like ID's always been part of my story so and I before I was editor-in-chief I was fashion director for five years so yeah it's been uh yeah I like to say I'm last man standing exactly <laughs> well, and you've been editing for three years now yeah and, and I'm curious for example of course this book looks at the whole history do you still look at the first issues I mean and kind of compare to what you do today because yeah. of course so many things have changed in the world but but there's still something of it's the original idea yeah, it's really incredible with id because so many things in the world have changed and the way that we work has changed but the dna and the you know the fabric of like that first issue i have the first issue in my office i don't even know how many were made but it was a 50p stapled together zine that um terry and trisha had had worked on and I have that issue that I often like refer to. It's it's exactly the same DNA as it is today. You know, it was like so ahead of its time as far as like, you know, inclusivity and, you know, having, I think the spirit of ID is really about like the establishment shining a light on the new generation. So there's always like a real mix of generations within the, within the publication that still holds true today. And, um, you know, really all the, all the DNA of the brand up until today is in the first issue. It's incredible, like to be able to, to be able to create a whole brand in one 
in one zine is really phenomenal. So, yeah. And such a recognizable brand, because I have to say, even though, for example, I come from Brazil, but even in Brazil, you, he you hear about ID. Yeah. I think it's, you know, even though it is a British publication, right? You yeah. can say that in a yeah. way. <laughs> I, I think it's almost worldwide in a yeah, way. Yeah, it's right? more global now, yeah. yeah. And one thing about the book that I think all the magazine nerds out there would enjoy is all those kind yeah. of little quotes, for example, Terry mentions, you know, about the covers. Every, you need a wink, right? Yeah, exactly. On, the, on your right eye. But then exactly. a, apparently Madonna could couldn't do it for some reason and then you decided to flip her over it's such an interesting story yeah. like this that makes the book right exactly and there's some of me like the the interview in the book with terry and trisha is like really it's such a great look at like the history in the early days and them working in their kitchen and trisha making like pasta for all the contributors and like it's really like that's really the spirit of id is this kind of homegrown cottage industry family publication and I mean, even until today, we get cover tries that come in with the wrong eye. And, you know, like also like when I when I started editing the magazine, I was already based in New York. And a lot of the young people in New York didn't know about ID. So my first mission really was to open ID up to like the young generation in, in New York City and like then obviously globally. But um You know, I just started like educating the all the skaters and musicians and rappers and stylists and and models etc. in New York and like, you know, my philosophy with ID has always been like if you want somebody to like the magazine, you just put them in it because we're all part of this like community that work together and yeah, and a lot of people still today don't understand that the logo is a wink and a smile, you know. So they recognize the covers, they recognize the you know the iconography of that and like the wink, but not necessarily understanding that the logo is a wink and a smile in itself. And yeah, and, and I remember hearing a story from Terry about um, when Madonna was on the cover because she wasn't famous yet. It was her first ever cover of a magazine. And, you know, some of the people in London thought it was Boy George because the, <laughs> he was more, much more famous yeah. than Madonna at that time, you know? <laughs> so yeah, there's so many great stories. I mean, it's such a, it's such an incredible archive and an amazing It's just such an amazing brand, but like there's just been so many people involved in it. I think a lot of magazines today, they're like a really small team that create this magazine over time. But ID's always been about this ecosystem of like family and community. And it's really, it's really wide reaching, you know, so like there's so many people. I think once you've worked for ID, you sort of feel like you're part of the family. So the family is very big. Well, that's it for this week's show. My thanks as ever to our editor, Adam Heaton. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fbnmonaco.com and please subscribe to The Stack and, you know, spread the word. If you like The Stack, recommend to a friend as well. Before we go, a little song for you. It's a Christmas one from Brazil. Maria Bethânia, Boas Festas. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. A noite é o sino gemeu A gente ficou Feliz a rezar Papai Noel Vê se você tem